Welcome to Live Kabbalah's podcast. I'm Rabbi Amichai Cohen. In this podcast, we interviewed an extraordinary individual who has so much to share about his life journey and endurance, faith and love, taking on five special needs children. And his story is so incredibly inspirational that I gained so many life lessons from the hour or so interview that I had with him. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and be sure to check out livekabbalah.com for 200 plus classes and courses of enriching and inspiring content. Hi everyone, welcome to Live Kabbalah's podcast. I am sitting over here with Yisrael Avraham Ben Baruch, Originally from Alaska, him and his wife met in Alaska and made their way to Israel, and uh, they live in Sfat. They are parents to three biological children of their own. Two of them have special needs, and they have since adopted five special needs children who they show unbelievable warmth and love to. They, I mean... Unbelievable. Yisrael, how did you, first of all, how did you get from Alaska to, first of all, to Judaism? Because you found Judaism and you converted to Judaism in a city called Fairbanks, I think, in, in Alaska. And how did you get from there to Tzfat? Okay, Amichai, that's a great question. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say it in, in the best way I can was that um, uh, I and my siblings, we grew up in a family, our parents, uh, Michael and Laura, were very, very religious people, and they made a big impression on us as children. Um, but when I became older, like 9, 10, 11, I started to kind of wander away from their belief, and they never like questioned me, they never challenged me, they let me go on, on my way, I'm sure praying a lot for me. And uh, for a number of years, I didn't have a focus, a religious focus. Uh, ultimately, I uh, met Chaya, and uh, we married, and our first three children, boys, Ari is the oldest, Daniel's the second, and Abichai Yeshua is the third. And um, to make it, at the time I still wasn't uh, focused on Judaism, but what happened was that... Um, Avichai had to go through open heart surgery. So Avichai has uh, Down syndrome. Avichai was born with Down syndrome, and like many Down's children, a heart condition, which means it could be everything, anything from a pacemaker to open heart surgery. He had to have open heart surgery, which was done in Portland, Oregon, by a team of doctors. At what age was this? He was about three months. Wow. Uh, they were led, led by a Jewish doctor, and uh, the surgery they did was so amazing that uh, now 28 years later, he's... Doing great. But Bikitsur, in short, uh, when Chaya and he came back to Fairbanks, Chaya said, you know what, let's get another little baby with Down syndrome. And they can grow up together, our son and this little baby. And I said, great idea, but, you know, let's just give a few, you know, a little bit of time. In short, we put an application into an agency called White Plains, New York, that specialized in adopting special needs children. And the night of Avakai's first birthday, he, uh, we received a call from a man in Anchorage, Alaska. He said, my name is so-and-so, and, -so, and we, 
we saw your file from this agency and we'd like to meet you. And I said, oh, that's very fine. You know, uh, fly up to Fairbanks. It's an eight hour drive, a 45 minute flight. I'll pick you up. I picked him up at the airport. I brought him to our home, which is in the middle of a beautiful forest overlooking the southern plain of uh, Alaska from Fairbanks to the Alaska Range. And Vikitsur, um, in short, they were in our home uh, for a few hours. And after a few hours, their, the birth mother, this little girl, stood up and she said, um, she said, we want to give you our, our daughter. And she walked over and handed this little infant girl to me. And I was like so amazed. I was like, I was thinking, so unbelievable. One person has just given a human being to another person as a gift. And it just so happens that was Abichai's first birthday. <laughs> he was one year old that day. And we named her uh, Karen Sarah, a uh, very Jewish name. And uh, how old was she? She was nine days. Nine days. She was nine days old at that time. And we didn't know it at the time, but uh, her birth mom didn't really want to give her up. She really didn't want to give her up. We didn't know at the time, but we found out later. She told us later. In Alaska, uh, adoption is open. The parents that give up a child can visit, and the parents that take the child and vice versa. And we did that for you know a little bit while we were there. But ultimately, Kai had the idea to make Aliyah to Israel. It was something she had a dream of from the time she was a teenager. And now we had a very substantial reason, which is what were their lives going to be like when they were adults. And we had this idea, we'd go to a kibbutz, a moshav, they'd be part of a community, and they'd have a very good life. So now you had four children. Yeah, the three boys and now uh, Karen, uh, Sarah. And uh, so uh, it took a little while, it's a little... Um, a uh, little bit of effort, but um, I made a pilot trip to Israel with a friend of ours, Neil, who had lived in Israel for a number of years. We started in Beersheba, and we went to from uh, uh, typical kibbutzim to uh, alternative communities, and we worked our way all the way up from Beersheba to the Golan. We visited several um, communities, and at one point, one of, a certain person said, you're wasting your time. They're just going to throw your application into the trash. He said, because no community is going to want to take on a family with two special needs children. They, 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 they have enough. Don't worry, they have enough. And I appreciated his honesty, but it was a little bit painful to hear that. Um, and ultimately what he said was true. Every single community turned us down. And one community, one of the couples said, well, if we were in charge, we would, we would accept you, but we're not in charge, so we, we can't. When you say special needs, those are the Down syndrome. Yeah, specifically, they, they, they the, meant specifically right. Abichai and Karen. Right, Sorry. but the other two The other two would have been manageable. acceptable. because. Yeah. They, so um, I remember I called uh, Chaya long distance from Israel. Um, this is about 24, 25 years ago. And uh, she was standing in the kitchen when she was talking to me. And Ari, who was only like six at the time, was standing next to her. And she started crying. <laughs> and... I said, uh, Mom, why are you crying? And she said, because no one wants us. So I said on the phone, I said, listen, you know what? It doesn't matter. Let's just make Aliyah anyway. So uh, we made Aliyah, and uh, we settled in Sfat. So you can... No, no, I converted here in Sfat. You converted here. I started, okay. in, I started in my learning in Alaska. There's a very fine uh, rabbi and his family, Rabbi Yossi Greenberg, we have a Chabad Center Anchorage. It's eight hours drive south of Fairbanks. So he you, would he you, would fly up to Fairbanks to teach, and we would I drew, we'd drive down to to visit him. Wow. 
and he was my first teacher. And, uh, and he said two things. One that I remember that he said, you know, you need to realize that in Alaska, there's so few Jewish people that uh, every Jewish person is like a diamond. It doesn't matter what the frum or not frum. But when you go to Israel, you're going to be one of like many. So don't be shocked if it isn't the same kind of like perspective, so to speak. But those are kind of the gist of what he was saying. And the second thing he says is you need to realize that the Middle East, Israel, it's not the same as the United States and Canada. You need to realize that when you say yes, it means to an Israeli or to someone in the Middle East, maybe. And when you say no, it means maybe. <laughs> so, so that was great advice because it helped me a lot with the culture shock. I mean, when we made Aliyah, it was unbelievable. That it, was, it was so different from what we knew as Americans and Alaskans. It's unbelievable. I, I got into so many like crazy situations where I thought I was saying one thing and the people I was dealing with were treating me totally different. And because of his advice, I began to, I began to like appreciate, well, it's a totally different culture. It took me like a number of years to, to acclimate, to become... Fluent, Probably fluent. still taking... <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it takes time. But I mean, at least now I, I'm fluent enough to understand more or less what's going on. And I understand that when somebody doesn't... Uh, Accept my yes as a yes, or my no as a no, that that's what Rabbi Yossi Greenberg meant. He said, this culture, there isn't yes and yes or no, it's just, it's always maybe, you know, it's like... <laughs> so, so, that, so, so you came to Israel, and yeah. then, and then you, start, you started your, your conversion process. Right, right, right away I approached the Beit Din, I said I'd like to become Jewish, and they said, fine, um, a, uh, what families are you already friends with? And I said, mentioned a few names, and I said, okay, great, listen, we're going to have a couple of people who are young rabbis, so to speak, and they're going to be your teachers. And the second thing is go to other people's homes and watch how they keep Shabbat. Observe how they make Kiddush, observe how they, you know, and just learn about Judaism, you know, from the books, but also from living the experience of being involved in the Jewish community. And that's what I did. And uh, in a relatively short time, about six months, the, just before Shavuos, they gave me the go-ahead to become Jewish. So I went to the mikvah here in, um, in uh, Sons, and um, uh, in front of the Beit Din, I went into the water. I said, there's a special blessing. You say you, you go into the water, you, and you, um, you, you actually go into the water first, you come out, you say the blessing, and then you go in again a second time. And then uh, with the witnesses, the, the, the Beit Din, and Jewish rabbis who are observing this process right. and affirming that you're right. actually uh, becoming Jewish. Right. So did, did you feel different, by the way, right, right away after? I, actually, or? I did. I, I felt kind of the sensation in my neshama, my soul, so to speak. And uh, I don't know if it was how, what it was so much, but it just felt like a kind of like a very special, like glowing feeling. And um, I don't know if that was my additional soul or just my happiness at being Jewish. <laughs> I'm not sure. Wow. But I remember going outside and my friends were hugging me. Uh, and one of them happens to be a man named Daniel, who's a Canadian. And he himself is a convert. So he was like, you know, he, and so that was just very, very special, those moments of becoming Jewish. Uh, so for all of you listening, I mean, if you, you'd be here, I mean, you, you basically, Yisrael Avram is glowing and, and he is an unbelievable um, uh, inspiration in terms of, of of emuna and the type of life that that he that that he leads with such faith and and uh, and trust in 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 Hashem, which which leads us to this 
to the idea of, of now adopting more special needs children after already having three of your, uh, I mean, two of your own and then adopting, right. uh, sorry, three of your own and now adopting right. more. Right. What happened is we settled into the community and a couple of years after we were here, one of our friends told us about an infant girl had been uh, left in the hospital when her parents found out that she has Down syndrome. So right away, Chaya went to the hospital and began to visit her. And Chaya, by the way, is, is a midwife, yeah. right? She's, also, she's a midwife, but also she's also a counselor. She counsels women in, in birthing and helps protect them and get, make sure that they're, they're, they know what's going on. And, uh, and it's a whole story about why that's necessary. But uh, So you got this, this call about a child that was right. just left she, in the hospital? Right. She, her like parent, the mother just left? The parents, when they found out that she has Down syndrome, they, oh, wow. they walked away. Shh. And, and, it, and mm. you couldn't do that in America. You would be held accountable. But in Israel, we have socialized medicine. So the parents know that someone here or there is going to take care of this child, whether they end up in an institution, which happens often, unfortunately. But So they just walked away. And so we began to visit her and eventually took her home. And the social worker, one of them, I won't say her name, she said, listen, don't get any ideas, you know. And I said, look, it, she's in our home, she's staying. And, um, and so they gave us like guardianship year after year after year. They renewed it every year. And eventually after seven years, they said, look, it, you guys can have her. Unlimited guardianship, <laughs> we don't have to renew it anymore. And so she was our um, third child with Down syndrome. And then um, about uh, 14 years uh, late, earlier from, I mean, from today, we found out about another little boy, also with Down syndrome, but his story was different. This is Ori Rachamim, and he's the one who's in the hospital right now, which is what inspired Amichai to contact me and, and tell our story. He's right now in the hospital in the central part of the country in a hospital called Schneider Shulz Hospital in Petitikva. If all of you listening, please pray for his well-being. He's doing much better, but we still have to get him out of there. But he, he what happened was um, his mom, his birth mom was very young when she gave birth to him and she was all by herself. It's a whole story why she was by herself. And uh, he was born not just with Down syndrome, but two, they had to do two major operations. They couldn't do them here in Sfat. They medevaced them to Rambam. The doctor said, listen, imagine them telling a young woman, a young birth mother, we, we have two serious operations and if we don't succeed in the first, well, that's it. <laughs> so, so... Fortunately, the doctors were skilled enough that they accomplished both operations amazingly well, and they brought him back to Tzfat, uh, uh, Ori Rachamim and his birth mom. But the, but the problem is, or the difficulty at the time, 14 years ago, was that she wasn't up to taking care of him. She was so young, and she was emotionally, like, had gone through divorce, and was struggling with her whole, her whole um, identity in terms of being religious or not religious, and all that, and... Uh, so what happened was, it's a very beautiful, it's one of the most beautiful stories and everything that we're telling is that the hospital knew about Chaya. She's a midwife and she goes in. And so they sent a person from the hospital to ask her to please go to the hospital and help this birth mom and, and her baby. At the time, he was just very, very young. And, uh, and so um, this person came to our home, our apartment. They knocked on the door, answered the door, and they said to Chaya, Please, please, please come to the hospital and help this mom. She's not making it. And Chaya didn't say anything. She didn't say yes. She didn't say no. She just stayed quiet. And I was very, very surprised. I, I couldn't imagine why she wouldn't say anything. But I was, 
I grew up in a culture where you don't challenge people so much. And so, hey, okay. So the next night, another person came. Please, please go to the hospital. Help this mom and her baby that I'm making it. Second time in a row, Chaya didn't say yes or no. She didn't say anything. I was really wondering, why, why doesn't she go? I can't understand it. Why does she go to the hospital? And so the third night, another person, a third person came. A woman came to the door, knocked on the door, opened the door. She spoke to Chaya, who was standing next to me. Please, she's, this mom is not, she doesn't have the ability to care for this child. He's so severely special needs. Um, and she herself is struggling in her own personal life. Please go to the hospital and help them. Third time, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Chaya did say yes or no. She was totally quiet. So I shut the door, I turned around, and I looked at Chaya and I said, please, please tell me why you were not going to the hospital. She looked at me and she said the most unbelievable, amazing thing. She said, what happens if I go to the hospital and I come to love him? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? What does it matter? It's, you have to help him. You, you have to. Please put on your jacket. Go to the hospital right now. So she put on her jacket. She went to the hospital. And I wasn't there, but she told me what happened was that they made a, like a mini ICU for him in the, next to the nurse's station. He was laying on his side with all these tubes and wires going in out of him and all these monitors monitoring his heart and everything. And, and she told me she leaned over like this to look in his eyes. And he's tame and he. So has these beautiful Yemenite, Yemenite, the uh, beautiful, deep, deep brown eyes, and she has brown eyes as well. And she was looking, uh, she leaned over and looked straight into his eyes like this, and he looked back to her. And I think that's at the moment that they came to love each other. <laughs> she, when she looked in his eyes, she did what she told me she might happen. She came to love him, and naturally he was in love with her because he's his little baby. And so uh, that was exactly what she was afraid of. She was afraid that if she came to love him, she would have to give everything to her, to him. So she called me up on the phone and she said, listen, um, I'm giving all the responsibility of the family over to you. And all of my work I'm putting to the side. I'm with him, that's it. And that's what she meant. If she came to love him, she couldn't take hold of anything back. She had to be with 100%. So I said, probably no problem. So I took care of the family. And uh, she was with him at night and in the morning when the doctors would go their rounds. And I would go to the hospital in the afternoon for, you know, for the afternoon. And she would be there when the kids came home from school. And then she would go to the hospital and we'd switch. And that went on month after month after month. Wow. And after four months, what happened was the Revacha, the Welfare Department, came to the hospital and they said, we want this baby. We want to take him. And we said, no, you can't have him. And uh, they said to the birth mom, Either you give us this baby, or we're going to sue you. We're going to take you to court. To the birth mom? Yeah. You said that to them? No. The, the, they said They said it. Okay. So uh, she refused. She said, no, I want, I want him to go. I want my son to go to the Ben Baruchs. And uh, they said, oh, fine, we'll take you to court. And they did. Oh. And so uh, they... Uh, Why wouldn't they allow you to... They wanted him because, because there's a lot of money. Every child that an institution has represents thousands and thousands and thousands of shekels for the institution. Okay. So it was an economic thing. Oh, okay. It didn't have anything to do with like whatever. Sentiment. Yeah, no, it was no sentiment. It was just money. And so what happened was a month later, we received a, a court summons. And a, a month later, we had a court date here in Svat. 
in the court system, and um, we're the last person this particular judge chose to see. And uh, we had, uh, at the time, before the court case, I went to see a very famous rabbi, Rabbi Yoram Arbrigil in Nittivot. He was a disciple of, uh, of the Baba Sali. And he said, get a lawyer and you'll get the baby. So just to be sure, I traveled into the north to Nari and I spoke to another very, very famous uh, rabbi, Rabbi Dabu Kapasara, who's a grandson of the Baba Sali. And he said, get a lawyer and you'll get the baby. They both said the same thing. So we got a lawyer, a woman lawyer from a woman lawyer, and she agreed to, you know, we hired her to pay her, and we had people helping us to pay her. And um, the court date came, and so we went into the courtroom, and the only people in the courtroom were the judge, uh, Oris Rachamin's birth mom, us, our lawyer, and then the two representatives of the uh, Rebecha, the welfare department. One of them was the head of the department, the welfare department. I won't say his name, but... Um, Back and forth, back and forth, they went, they saw the judge, we they give us the baby, no, give us the baby, give us the baby, no, give us, give us this infant, you know, why? This, you know. So after several minutes of this going back and forth, the head of the welfare department stood up and he said, Your Honor, with all due respect, if you would just come and visit our institution and see what a fine institution it is, you would know that this is the best place for this infant child. And this was the most, one of the most amazing moments of my life. The judge looked at him and he said, I don't have to visit your institution. I have a daughter of my own who's an institution. Wow. And when he said that, I said, he's ours. I knew for sure that he, the judge would give him to us because any judge who knew what an institution was and what a family is would choose to give the child to the family. And that's what he did. Wow. I'm awarding this child to the Ben Baruchs. Wow. Uh, and after six months, we'll review the, the, uh, review the um, status of the, the decision. Wow. And that was it. Wow. And we, the, we went back to the, I, I, the, uh, uh, his birth mom and Chaya went back to the hospital. And apparently, we, we didn't know, but the hospital staff were making bets on who would win the case. <laughs> oh, wow. Because you know, nobody could imagine that anyone could beat the Rebecha. You know, they, they, especially in this country, yeah. socialized medicine. So lo love wins, right? They say <laughs> exactly. That. One overcame money. Wow. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit emotional wow. about that thing, yeah. but it's so powerful that, that moment. And uh, that very day, that or the very next morning, I went and I actually took him out of the hospital. The hospital refused to release him until they knew who to give him to, mm -hmm. even though he could have been released a month earlier. Uh, they refused to let him go until they knew who would who would get custody. So finally, after the court decision, they gave him to me. I put him in a child um, um, baby carriage and uh, took him out. And that was it. And uh, took him home, and that was the beginning of our life, and he's been with us ever since. Now he's back in the hospital, uh, kind of in a, another scenario of, of his medical needs, but um, that was one of the most amazing times in our life, as far as him. That's yeah. So, uh, that's that's amazing, and we we didn't even get to, to to the rest of the special needs children, but there's something incredible that happened. I think in between, or this is pretty recent, with two of your children marrying each other. Yeah. Yeah. And um, can can you speak about that? Sure, I'll be happy to. Uh, when um, I said before earlier in the recording that 
Karen Sarah's birth mother and her and her birth father gave her to us when she was nine days old. That was our Abihai's first birthday in Alaska. In Alaska, and uh, they grew up together. I have a photograph here. You can't see it on the radio, but uh, on the recording, but pictures of them growing up together, always together. And, a year uh, apart. Yeah, one year apart, approximately, and um, they were just the best of friends. They just like um, they just like like the best brother and sister you can ever imagine. And when we made Aliyah, we, um, we came to Israel, and um, because there was a question about the, the Jewishness of her parents, we, we took her to the mikveh and the advice of the rabbinical court, and Chaya, she had a little, like, very sanua, modest gown on, and Chaya was dressed, and she took her Karen Sala to the mikveh, and in the presence of the Beit Din, held her in the, above the water or in the water and, and like kind of dropped her into the water. So for one brief moment, she was completely surrounded by water. Mm-hmm. And then Kaya grabbed her back. Right. I was there too. I saw that. It was really nice. And that was her conversion. And, and they said when she becomes of age, she has to say publicly that I want to be Jewish. I know what it is to be Jewish and I want to be Jewish. At that time, right. she was very young. Right. And so then um, they grew up and when they became Bar Mitzvah and Bar Mitzvah, the same, the same year. The same year. I... Uh, we took him to the hotel. I went to the men's side, and Chaya took her to the women's side, and also her other daughter shall have it. And um, they uh, came back from the two sides, and they started talking about getting married. And we we didn't like take him so seriously. You know, they said that they want to get married. Yeah, they started on, talking on their bar mitzvah. And bar mitzvah. Yeah, yeah, they started talking about getting married. I think they were talking about it before, but this first time they made it like public. <laughs> but. Uh, and, uh, and we were kind of like, we took a beautiful picture I, I, of them outside the hotel, the three of them. It's on the cover of this book. This Chaya wrote a book. It's called uh, Chaya's Angels. And uh, it's the photograph we took is on the cover of this book. And uh, the three of them around Chaya. And, uh, and so we were saying like, okay, you know, it's a great idea, but you're a little bit young. You know, can you wait a few years? And we actually never... We didn't, we didn't, whatever, we didn't like think it through in our minds that they would actually marry you. We thought that he would marry a nice young woman with Down syndrome and she would marry a nice young man with Down syndrome because they were brother and sister, even though halakhically they could technically get married because they're not biologically from the same family. Yeah. But they never let up. Every time there was a wedding, they said, we want to have our wedding in this wedding hall. We want to have this catering, this singer, Jakob Shweki will be able to, you know, singing at their wedding. <laughs> and we were like, okay, okay. Finally, after a number of years, you know, uh, when they were like 18 and 19 or whatever, I don't know the exact age, we said, they're not going to quit. This is it. They're, they're, you know, they're not going to give up. So we just better marry them. <laughs> and so we did. And there was some opposition. People came forward and said, what are you doing? You know, can't you see that all around you have typical people who are struggling and you want to put two severely special needs together, needs children together in a marriage? Said, yeah, why not? said, no, because it doesn't make any sense. I said, of course it makes sense. They love each other. They really do. They have a very special, innocent love for each other. So even though there was opposition, people were trying to oppose this, what we were doing, we didn't stop. We just went ahead with the wedding. It was one of the most amazing weddings that anyone could ever imagine. It was just so, so amazing that there's pictures of the weddings and two of the two things that happened or that were very incredible and very un- unexpected was that about a half an hour into the wedding, the dancing and the music, a man came up to me I'd never met before he said, my name is so-and-so, and I want you to know I came to your wedding because I have a child with Down syndrome. And I want to see what my child's life can be like when he, that child becomes an adult. 
I said, Balakasha, you're more than welcome. You'll be enjoying our wedding, you know. You know, we're happy you're here. And then an hour later, half hour later, another man came up to me and said, I, you've never met me before. My name is so-and-so, and I came to your wedding because I have a child with Down syndrome, and I want to know what my child's life can be when they're an adult. I said, wow, that's great. Yeah, we're happy you're here. Two men I'd never met before came to our wedding because they had children with Down syndrome, and, and they wanted to see... They want to see what what is my child's potential. They can get married. Can they get Can they get married? Can they have a typical Rabbi life? Shmuel Aliyah married them. Yeah, Rabbi Shmuel. Uh, Chief Rabbi of Tzfat. Yeah, he's um, he's one of our best friends, and he was at the wedding, and he in um, I think he was on the verge of tears because it was so uh, emotional. And uh, the video of the wedding has been posted on the internet. You can see it. And, YouTube. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put a link on. Yeah, there. and. Uh, they, when the, the Hatan says a special blessing, and you can see them holding the microphone and Avihar speaking the blessing and helping him say the words, and then you hear the sound of him stamping on the, the glass to break the glass, which is part of the Jewish wedding. Uh, and everyone's yelling, yeah, you know, like, Magotov, and, uh, wow. and then you see on the video him kissing me and then kissing uh, Chaya. Uh, as a, as a, a way of showing um, affirmation and affection mm -hmm. from him to us and us to him, wow. uh, having him being um, a young married man to his sister, mm -hmm. uh, Karen Sara, mm -hmm. and the and the and the, um, the other, there's other thing that he leans over and he talks to her and he says something and you can't hear it but we asked him later and he said you're the most beautiful woman in the world, oh. <laughs> so so. Uh, very, uh, very romantic and very, very special. And, uh, and where do they live now? Now they live in a, a community called Rikasim, which is right next to Kfar Sidim. It's about 20 minutes southeast of Haifa. It's a, it's a relatively small community city, but um, what this city has is um, a very special organization uh, called Sohor Alev, which uh, Tzor is like a window, like the window in the Teva of Noah's Ark is called a Tzor. Window to the heart. Right, window to the heart. And this organization is very pro-helping special needs people. Uh, they have a school called Tzor uh, a Torah, a window to the Torah. And uh, that's where Abhi and Karen have been going. Uh, all, almost their entire school life has been in the mm -hmm. school. And uh, they're very, very positive, they look at the children in a very positive way, and the children feel that. It's very, very important and special. Wow. And so, so um, many of these people in the faculty and the students came to the wedding, and what they did is that they have in this community what are called hostels. A hostel is like a, a, a home, and one block they'll have a hostel for women, another block they'll have a hostel for men. They have four or five of these, and then because Avi and Karen mar uh, married, they're married to have their own apartment. So they have their own apartment, it's a beautiful garden, mm. and it's adjoining a small little Baconesset, mm. which during the week is a workplace for the women, and then on Shabbat they convert it into a Baconesset. It has the smallest safer tribe I've ever seen. It's totally kosher, totally, wow. totally, but it's really beautiful. Wow. And uh, they, their home is right next to joining this, um, mm. and the, the neighborhood they have is on the outskirts of the city. And so right they're self-sufficient, or they're... They're, they're self-sufficient, mostly. Yeah. They have a, a couple that are like their guardians, so to speak, that if they need trouble, or not trouble, but if they need help the, with banking or with like a plumbing repair or something, they call this couple, mm -hmm. 
and a couple arranges for a, a workman to come and repair the electrical or the plumbing, or if they have to do some kind of banking issue, then there's someone to assist them with that. Mm. When they go to the stop at the store, they have a number that they give the, the cashier. And so instead of dealing with cash, they simply give the number to the, to the cashier. The, mm. the cashier enters it into the register, and the money's already taken from their bank account yeah. to pay for the Avichai, like when he comes here for Shabbat, he's like, <laughs> he's called like the mayor of Tzfat. People yeah. look at, you know, he walks around with so much confidence and so much like, he reminds me of my uncle. I grew up with, with an uncle, Uncle wow. Chaim, wow. who is just the most, one of the most beautiful, loving individuals in the world. So I, I, special, I, Down syndrome children especially are just so incredibly loving and, right. and, and, and giving. Especially so, when they're brought up in the right way. Even when they're brought up in the right way, which, yeah. which they definitely have uh, in growing up in your home. So, uh, the, besides these two, these these children, there are a number of other children. So let's maybe go through their their names and maybe. Okay, so um, yeah, after the when I mentioned shall have it. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to shall have it. Shall have it, Nama. Uh, okay, she she she's, she's how she, old now? She's now in her early twenties, and she okay. we also, like her to marry. Also Down syndrome. She has Down syndrome. She's the one who her parents walked away. Okay. When they found out that she and we got okay. her, we were, we went to the hospital, started taking care of. Eventually, we were given to her, brought her home, and right. uh, and we would like her to marry. She's dating a young man named uh, Lior. Okay. And if his parents will give the go ahead, we'll have another wedding. Wow. And that would be wonderful because I feel that every person, no matter how special needs they are, or who they are, whatever they, you know, they they have the right to not be alone. I think every person has the right to be married yeah. in a relationship because I think it's important to. To be a happy person, to be in a relationship, if possible. Yeah. And so then, after her was is Or Rachamim, who was a little boy with the, who you know her mom. Yeah. Haya went into the hospital to care for him, and we went to court to fight to keep him. Right. And he's been with us all these years, and now he's in the hospital in Schneider. He's been it's been like a month now since he first went in, and we're we're getting a handle on his situation. I think we're gonna. I think we're gaining ground, basically. Okay, thanks, so, Yeah. Been quite a quite a little bit of a challenge, but uh, we, I think we're getting we're we're gaining ground yeah. on what he needs, the care he needs, and she's been with him all this time. And I'm gonna maybe switch the Shabbat and go down and be with him for Shabbat so she That's can come amazing. back. And then um, after him, we were given another little baby girl, six days old, um, and she was given to us by a, a family and a lot of children, one of them very seriously special needs, and they just uh, decided to let go of her. So her grandparents on her mom's side took a cab from a neighbor off, drove up to spot and gave her to us. They knew about us because Chaya gives talks about what it means to be like a parent of special needs children. Because of these talks, they're aware of who she is. And they um, drove up and gave her to us. And a beautiful little girl. And um, we, we, didn't, we decided to change her name. And we were, we were trying to like, or add to her name, like add another name. And so we were saying, well, what is Sarah and what is Rivka? And, and so uh, I said, what about Nachami? Nachami has a nice sound to it. The very next day, the grandparents call up, the ones that brought her to us. And they said, we, we'd like to add a name. What do you think about the name Nachami? Wow. wow. <laughs> so uh, so she, that was part of her name. And, and tragically, she passed away at seven months of age. Mm. And uh, I could spend like a few hours just saying everything that would happen that day, the most intense day of my life. 
it, but what I will say is one of the things is that um, uh, I, I, I don't want to get like too too involved in the details, but Bikitsur, I had to like kind of just kind of take her out of the hospital and just get her out. And I had a couple of friends help me and we got her out of the hospital and we brought her to the cemetery. And, I, and while I was in the hospital, I was calling my friends, we need to have, have 10, min, 10 men to say Kaddish. And they all said yes, about 15, 16 men. When we got to the, the, the cemetery, not a single person was there. One one second. They they the hospital didn't want to release the body. Yeah, it's a little complicated, but they didn't want to release her, and I just I just basically took her out. Oh my I god. just I kind of had to like steal her, so to speak. Oh my god. Um, I don't I hope nobody in the hospital is listening to this recording. <laughs> oh my god. I had to like I had a couple of friends. I called them up. I said, listen, just I need to get out of here. Help me out. So they said, no problem. So they showed up at the door, and they said wrap up her wrap her up in the sheet, oh and follow us. And so we they we stepped in the corridor. And there, I was walking behind them, and one of the people that was kind of trying to keep her there was in the corridor, right about 100 feet in front of us. But as, but as we approached him, he was talking on his cell phone, and he looked down at the floor, and he was talking about us to a supervisor of his. He was talking about us, and we walked right by him. If he, because he was, he was looking at, he just, at that moment, looked down at the floor. We walked right by him. And we got into the van and took Wington to the, to the cemetery. And all the people I called, um, we didn't see anybody. No one was there. So I went into the, I took her body, her, and I took her into the room where they do a tara, like a, a preparing a person for burial. And I put her down on this metal table and I looked around and there was a door in the back of the room. So I went to the back, I pushed the door open and there were two men standing there. One of them, Rav Shmuel Eliyahu, and another man, the head of the Mozart, the religious council. And I said, uh, where's everybody? And they said, what happened was, when you were still in the hospital, they did a tara, a, a preparation of burial, on a very elderly man who was an immigrant, I think. And because he came to Israel at such an, an age, an older age, he didn't bring a lot of family with him. He didn't make it, wasn't here for a lot of, enough to make a community. Oh. So only two people showed up. For his funeral, so that's not enough for Kaddish. So when when the when the Hebrew Kaddish saw all these men, oh wow! Uh, so I'm a little bit emotional. When they saw my friends showing up, they asked them, "Do you mind helping out a fellow Jewish person? There are not enough of us to say Kaddish. Could you come with us to his burial and say?" Kaddish? So that's they were all there. They were those men were all. At, at the burial of this man they'd never met before, and he'd never met them, presumably. So he had cottage set for them in the mirror of Nechami's passing. Because mm -hmm. if she hadn't been, you know, if I hadn't called these men, they wouldn't have had to be there. So they came back and we had the, the burial, and um, and we said Kaddish, and, and uh, later on I wrote a poem. It was published in Ahmadiyya. Yeah, and that night, it, it was just before Shabbat. By the time we got home, it was just before Shabbat. And, uh, it was a Friday. It was Friday, and uh, I asked a rabbi, a friend of mine, who's, uh, and I said, well, how am I supposed to go into Shabbat with this just happening? He said, well, you can be sad on the inside, but you need to show happiness on the outside. I said, <laughs> I said great. <laughs> it just happened, there was a bar mitzvah. A friend of mine was having a bar mitzvah, and I, I went to the bar mitzvah, and I was sitting there, and I was happy for my friend and the fact that one of his sons was having bar mitzvah, but it was hard not to be sad. But I did my best to show happiness. And that night, after uh, Moti Shabbat, 
everyone was so exhausted from what had happened on Friday and then and Shabbat that they just all crashed. They all were like exhausted. But I couldn't sleep and so I, I sat down and I took out a laptop and I wrote a poem for her. It's quite beautiful actually. And um, it's called The Gate of Tears Never Closes. Because there's a saying that all the gates in Shemayim can close, but if a person's crying, that gate will not close on someone who's crying. So I call it a gate of tears, and I just talk about her, little like like paragraphs about her and mm-hmm. and their passing. And uh, it was eventually published in Hamadiyah, um, in in her honor. And uh, so every time there's a, her yurt site comes around, it was actually a leap year, that year. Then of course we have like. Um, we say Kaddish for her, and we go if we are able to go to her her um, burial site and say Kaddish. I would learn, at the very least, we learn in her merit, and um, so you, then you yeah. you you were the, you were there for for her for her journey. Yeah, yeah. Her short journey in this world. Yeah. The uh, difficult journey. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's we, it's we can't understand Hashem's ways. We have to have like a lot of emunah. We have to have a lot of faith that everything Hashem does is for the best. And even if it's a tragedy, it's also on some level, even though if we don't necessarily know what it is, it's for the best. Which, which really gets us into emunah, the, the idea of emunah, of, of, of belief and, and, and trust. And, and, uh, and that's something that, I mean, how do you, how do you have so much emunah, you know, on, on, on that? To, just say like I'm taking these children and I'm, I'm 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 gonna give to them so much. Like, where where does this come from? How, how did? I think that on my side, I I I think my parents were very altruistic, and it was connected to their religious belief. I think in a certain way, but also they um, they kind of gave cost to us children that we had an obligation to help other people, and they kind of conveyed it in a certain way, like. Um, not everyone has the abilities that you have. Not everyone has the strength that you have. Not everyone has the whatever. And you, if you see a person who needs help, you have an obligation to help them. Whatever, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Just help them. And so we grew up that way. And so if we saw somebody being, you know, a bully picking on somebody smaller than we go over and say, "Look, I'm sorry, but you can't, you can't hurt this person. Neither than my friend." And things, things like that, little things like that. It's not such a big thing. You know, a lot of times people don't underestimate their ability. But if you make an initial step, like that's the, big, that's the main thing. You make it the initial step, which is emunah, belief in Hashem. And Hashem then steps in and He gives you like the, the, the power, the strength, the, the fortitude, the stamina, the, you know, the, the, how to solve a problem. He sends, you know, how many thousands of angels you need, you know, experts in building, experts in whatever, and they help you out because you made that initial step. It says you just make an opening, a small opening for Hashem, and He'll make a huge opening for you in the sense of helping you to do things. So, and I think in Chaya is similar to that. She's, she's, it's just part of her nature that she loves to help, and, and she also has the ability some people they want to help but they don't they're not so capable and that people are very capable they're not so wanting to help so it takes kind of a combination of both the desire and the ability and when you put that package in one person uh, then you have whatever it takes but you can also have people that can learn to 
want to help, and you can also be people that learn how to help. So I think everyone has a potential, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, but when you talk about the ability to, to want to help, and you talk about like adopting five special needs children, who, by the way, we didn't even get to the, the last, I think, two yeah, yeah. Uh, names for. I mean, that takes a tremendous amount of, of resources. It takes a tremendous amount of mental space, of patience. I mean, I know from having my own children and, and uh, thank God we're blessed to have and that takes a tremendous amount of uh, to just be a father yeah. but to be a father to even one special needs chi- child is, is it could be like nine regular needs children yeah I think that each child that's been given to us is it's if we gave birth to them we don't see a difference it's we know there's a difference, but for I, I know that for Chai and I, every single child that was given to us, it was as we gave birth to them. We didn't, we did, you know, we, when you have your own child like that, on that level, then it's much easier because you're not resisting. You're just giving, giving, giving. There's no resistance. You want to give, you want to give, you want to give. And I'll tell you just a very, very brief story. When, when, when we first came to Tzfat, I would carry one child in, in the backpack, in a child pack in my back, Karen, maybe, or, and I would carry the other child in my arms. And we walk up from our apartment to the old city to go to a synagogue called Beirav. It takes like about 20 minutes of walking, and I would carry them up to, to this uh, old city. Not an easy hike at all. <laughs> well, I grew up in Alaska, so I was kind of used to that kind of work. And uh, So one day I'm walking, and, I'm, and there's a group of people, five, seven or eight people that are walking past me on my right. I'm on the left side of the lane, and they're on the right side of the lane. And they're walking past me, and I'm just kind of walking and <clears throat> taking my time. <clears throat> and uh, I have Karen in the backpack, and I have Avichai in my arms, and I'm walking in. And one of the women looks over at me, and she said to me, um, that's a lot you're carrying. And I looked back at the group of people, and I said, they carry me. And they all looked at me like, like it took them a moment to understand what I'm saying, but, I, but, I, but then they caught it, you know, like, they carry me. In other words, because of my love for them, that gives me the power and the strength to do what I need to do for whatever they need, what need might be. And so I think that that's really the key to everything, that when you have a desire and a love, then things are much, much easier because there's not a resistance. It's like you're just giving and then Hashem comes along and helps. And it's not to say that people don't get tired. Everyone gets tired sooner or later. But what you learn as a parent to kind of measure your gauge where you're holding in your koach, your strength. And if you see at the end of the day you're starting to get a little tired, so then just back out back up a little bit, you know, back you know, instead of like going full throttle, just back down a little bit, you know, you know, you can read to your children sitting down, you know, which is a lot easier than running around and and so I think that's just parent wisdom. That's just like knowing what your abilities are and, and from there just taking it one step further. So so just how do you find your balance? And um, when, when, you know, how, how do you gauge your ability to relax versus I need to? I think that for me personally, uh, I don't know if it would work for everybody, but I, all my life have been what's called like an early bird. I go to bed relatively early and I get up early. So when you get up like early, like I mean like 2 o'clock in the morning, everyone's asleep. And so you have a couple hours before the day begins where you're just by, your, by yourself. I go to the synagogue, go to the mikvah and things like that. And 
and I'm out of the house in the forest or somewhere and and for the two or three hours before I start my routine, I'm I'm pretty much alone. There might be someone else there, you know, but for the most part I'm by myself and that's when I meditate and talk to Hashem a lot. And I that gives me a lot of um, fortitude to go through the day because I'm already prepared. Like hitting the ground running. I'm already like when I start my day, I've already been up for a couple hours and I'm ready to go. I've gone to the Bacon Esset and I've, I've, I've prayed in the morning minion and uh, I get home and um, and just ready. I'm just ready to go. And um, and for me personally, I don't know if that would work for everybody. Like I know people that are not like that at all. They're the opposite. <laughs> they want to go to bed very, very late. But I find that that gives me a tremendous amount of power and strength because I'm especially going to the mikvah. When I go to the mikvah and I, and, I, and I shower and I change my clothes, then I'm like just totally fresh and ready to start the day. And that's for me personally. I wouldn't say that's for everybody, but I know that I've been doing that for a while and it helps me tremendously. Mm. And also, I, and so, uh, yeah, I guess that's what works for me. And also gauging my strength. Like if I feel tired, I rest. I don't try to go beyond my ability. Mm. And... Um, Step by step, I like the kids, look, one step at a time, you know, like, you know, don't take on everything at once, just step by step will solve the problem, step by step, you know. Child by child. Yeah, child by child. Wow. wow. Uh, so, so incredibly inspiring, and uh, there's so much more that we could, that we could talk about, and there's, there's details upon details in every part of this an incredible inspiring story but we just didn't get the names of the last children okay. so uh so then um and we, we were given another child uh, and she um, what's her name her, the, well her, we gave her okay. a, a name we chose a name for her um Ye'eli Hana, and she was given up by a family once again where the I don't think the birth bomb wanted to give her up, but the father did for some reason. And she was with us for a few weeks and then unfortunately the welfare department wanted to take, put her in another place. And there's a whole story like what was her motivation and and I can't get into it on the on the tape like this, but uh, we just loved her so much and it, it was just such a shame that we had to get, let her go. And uh, I wish that she was still with us, with but the family like um, are still in touch with us. They came to visit us, in, in Pesach, mm. uh, and uh, we have pictures and they send pictures back and forth. Mm. And one of the good things about that family is they have a number of children, who are very energetic, and so, so she's getting a lot of like, a lot of like energy as a child, mm. you know, and and. Um, so, so she's not with you. She's not with us, right. unfortunately, right. and uh, right. and uh, I wish we could like go back and work it out so that she was because uh, yeah. we were just so happy to get her, and uh, and um, she would have been a great little kid sister for Ori Rachami. Yeah. So um, it's and that's pretty much it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that there there we have it. I mean the last. Uh, what 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 we could take from it, and something that I've you know, I mean we, we 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 haven't had you for a while on Friday night, but whenever we have Israel Avraham, you know, over and Ari comes over, and he, yeah. Ari is a very funny, uh, funny individual, loves cartoons, 
and he's already he's already I think in his thirties, and he works he works for uh, Leave Note over here, and the you know he does does uh, he has a job here in Sfat, but whenever um, they come over and we have guests, guests are always inspired and amazed. And um, and they, they take us so much from uh, from not just the story but I think the the personality, uh, and and most of all the uh, emuna and I would say love, uh, that uh, that Israel Avram and and Chaya have and and all the children have as a result. So making making this world a a better place because of that. There's no doubt that bringing down light into this world much, much more because of you, because of people like you, um, and type of things that um, is in type of, of of inspiration that you that you give us. So at this time, I I, I also want to uh, to in, in, encourage all of us, you know, for you know how. What kind of a lesson could we take away from it from our if if we have children blessed to have children how could we um l- learn from this story and if we don't have children yet you know um how could we give others how could we learn to be more altruistic more giving um and um and also um if we could keep in mind in our prayers uh ori rachamim ben moria rachel who is uh, currently uh, still in the hospital, and uh, and keep him in our thoughts and our prayers. So Yisrael Avram, thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to uh, to share um, with us your incredible story. I mean, it's uh, I, I've I've just been like thank you like on a personal level for for being a, a personal friend and uh, and an inspiration to me and uh, and to and to all of us. Amichai, thank you so very much. And I would just like to add that anybody who wants help in any of these avenues, whether it's becoming Jewish or taking on special needs children, uh, you're more than welcome to contact us one way or another because we love to help other people. And to uh, whatever extent we can, we'll, we'll try to help you. Um, if, you're, if you're struggling in some area or some. You know, just let us know, and if, if if we have the resources, we'll help. If, and also, we have other people out there that we're aware of who have certain resources that can also help others. So don't hesitate to be in touch with us or people like us who can help you. You know, through life, if you have a special needs child, if you're you want to become Jewish, and these are all very tremendous, like powerful, important things and decisions that people need to make. So, thank you. All the best. Thank you, Israel.